Welcome to Yahoo Finance Presents. My name is Arti Swaminadin, and today I am joined by the Chief Operating Officer of Federal Student Aid, Richard Caudray, who is also a former uh, regulator at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. FSA lives within the Department of Education and manages trillions of dollars of student loan debt, which is why this conversation is so interesting to have right now. So, Rich, welcome. Really My happy pleasure. to see you here. Um, I just want to start with a big announcement that you guys are putting out today, which is the 10-year anniversary of a working group between the Education Department, the Department of Defense, Veterans Affairs, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and this is all geared towards protecting military veterans. We have done stories about veterans and student loan debt as it relates to having difficulty accessing public service loan forgiveness and also predatory schools that seem to almost, it feels like, hunt them down for their GI benefits. So can you speak to how the education department is working now to protect some of these military veterans? Yeah. Sure. And as, as you noted, uh, what we're marking is the 10-year anniversary of, this, of what are called the Principles of Excellence. Uh, this was initiated uh, by the Obama administration. Uh, and in fact, President Obama marked the original uh, signing of the executive order uh, with the purpose in mind of protecting uh, people who serve in the military and therefore are entitled to, they earn uh, GI benefits to go to school and have the government pay for that, uh, and yet find themselves often targeted by uh, schools with fraudulent schemes because they see the dollar signs uh, in fact, I think we once described this target population as being viewed by fraudulent schools as dollar signs with backpacks. Uh, and uh, we, we found that uh, it was important for us, and I think it was the first time this had been done across the federal government, uh, to have the Department of Education work together with closely with the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, to make sure that students were protected that military uh, service members uh, were not going to be cheated out of their benefits uh, and not get the benefit of higher education. Uh, and the CFPB was part of that uh, as well uh, for information gathering purposes and information sharing purposes that have helped us enforce the laws uh, to make sure service members are protected and well served. So Rich, the last time we spoke, which was a while back in October, you detailed the how the department was conducting oversight over student loans overall. You launched a new enforcement unit. Can you speak to how that effort is going and maybe highlight an accomplishment or two? Sure, and the, the uh, Office of Enforcement uh, is, is a really important initiative on behalf of uh, the Department of Education and FSA. Uh, it will help us make sure that all the laws that we oversee with respect to, as you said, the trillions of dollars that flow uh, to higher education in this country are being enforced and that schools and others aren't taking advantage of students, their families, taxpayers, everybody who is on the hook here uh, for providing the funding for higher education. Uh, one of the things that we are doing with the new enforcement uh, office is we have put out a bulletin uh, to remind all schools and put them on notice that we will be enforcing the provisions of the so-called 9010 rule, uh, which affects uh, service members who are going to school. Uh, 
uh, and uh, has to do with um, the funding and financing for their educations. Uh, and we are going to be bringing enforcement actions where they're appropriate against schools that cheat students, <clears throat> whether former military or not, uh, but across the board. And I think it's really important for us to have that presence <clears throat> and for schools to be aware that they're not going to be able to get away with things that they might have thought they could get away with in the past. So on that point on oversight, there was a recent government accountability office report that found that loan services were not doing a great job managing the paperwork of student loan borrowers on income driven repayment plans, basically undercounting monthly payments. You told the GAO, the watchdog, that the FSA was committed to improving this process. So what do you think needs to be done very urgently and right now? First of all, I think it was really important for us to face up squarely to what the GAO found. They were right. For many years at FSA and the Department of Education, there was not a close uh, attention to this program uh, because it was always something that seemed far distant into the future, I think. Uh, under the uh, income-driven repayment plans, people can have their loans forgiven, but only after 20 years of, of paying uh, the amounts that are due. Uh, and for many years, that 20-year mile marker was way into the future. And people were very casual about that. The record keeping was fairly poor. The transition of records from one loan servicer to another was not overseen uh, vigorously. Uh, and so we are going to be making a number of adjustments uh, there uh, to make borrowers, make it right for borrowers as best we can. And we are going to make sure that as we go forward, uh, that those records are being monitored closely uh, and accurately as they should have been all along already. I mean, this is, this is really uh, inexcusable, uh, but what's done is done. And what we're trying to do here is, is uh, take account of it and make adjustments for it as best we can. Can you speak a little bit to how this filters into this effort by FSA to address this ballooning student loan debt? On one hand, we have leading Democrats call for $50,000 in cancellation. The president says he'll do it, not through executive action, if it only if it passes through Congress. So what is the FSA doing in, in, in sort of addressing these programs and getting to this issue of canceling debt that was already meant to be forgiven. I'm glad you asked that because I know it's on many people's minds. We're getting a lot of incoming uh, questions about it. And let me be really clear here about the difference between two things. The first question is whether there's going to be some sort of general loan forgiveness that may apply to a lot of borrowers or even across the board. That's a decision that the White House will make. Uh, and they have said that they are considering uh, and they have a lot to think about there, uh, but it's up to the White House to make a judgment about that. At the same time, there's quite a few existing programs that provide for piece, bits and pieces of loan forgiveness, and some of those bits and pieces are rather large. Uh, one of them, is, is, as we've talked about, is public service loan forgiveness. If you work in public service, either for a government at any level or for certain nonprofits, the promise that was made by Congress, you know, 14 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, was that if you spent 10 years working in public service and made your payments all along, whatever balance there was on your loans would be forgiven at the end of 10 years. Uh, and for a variety of reasons, that program got, uh, I'll use a technical term here, all screwed up over the years. 
uh, and there were a lot of things that needed to be fixed. Congress tried to fix a few of them. Uh, it was up to us at the department to bite the bullet and fix the remainder of them. We have made great strides with that program. Just to show you how, how much, when uh, President Biden took office in January of 2021, there were only 7,000 borrowers who'd ever gotten public service loan forgiveness, even though we were more than 10 years down the road on this. Uh, we now have, we can say that I believe it's 120,000 borrowers have now received public service loan forgiveness. And there is a steady stream of others who are getting to the 10 year or 120 month mark uh, on their payments. The announcement that came last week that you were mentioning a moment ago has to do with borrowers who were wrongly steered into forbearance statuses, which didn't count toward public service loan forgiveness. So they lost precious months not realizing or understanding and never having been explained to them that that's what was happening. It was for the convenience of servicers at that time, uh, and that was wrong. And so we're making that adjustment, and there's going to be, we believe, 40,000 more public service loan borrowers who will receive full forgiveness on their loans, and many others will see their payment counts adjusted. That's an example of an existing program that never worked that we're making it work, we're fixing it, and it's getting forgiveness to many, many people. And by the way, when you hear them come back with their stories of what the difference it's making in their life, how they'll now be able to try to apply to buy a house because they've got the student loan monkey off their back. Uh, you know, it's, it's really uh, kind of almost emotional to hear their personal stories. Uh, we'd love to share some of those uh, with you. Uh, but there are other examples of this as well. We have the Income Driven Repayment Program that, as we talked a moment ago, uh, we're trying to fix that, and it's going to make a big difference for potentially millions of Americans. Uh, we have our Borrower Defense uh, Authority, where a school defrauds students, maybe lies to them about the job placement rates, maybe lies to them about the graduation rates, maybe lies to them on any number of levels that cause that student to decide to enroll and then find later that they were being cheated, uh, they're entitled to have uh, their student debt forgiven. Uh, that was something that the prior administration had neglected. They hadn't processed any of those claims for a period of years. Uh, we now have a, a backlog that we're working through uh, to try to catch up on. And I believe we've had over 100,000 borrowers there uh, get loan forgiveness. And there will be many more, I believe, uh, to come because there were some schools and chains of schools that cheated a lot of uh, students. Uh, we, we have a few other uh, ways that we can provide loan forgiveness, very specific authority that Congress has granted us. We are working to do that as aggressively as we can. None of it is a substitute for general loan forgiveness, but again, that's a decision for the White House to make. So I want to talk about the rising cost of college over the last 25 years or so that has been inflation tuition inflation has been such a big issue that I've sort of heard across the board. What is the FSA stance on tuition inflation? Is there anything the federal government can do because you control Title IV funding? Is there anything you can do to address the cost of rising uh, tuition? It's a good question because if you look at, uh, and as you mentioned, I was that director of the CFPB, first director of the CFPB. So I know consumer debt, you know, across the spectrum. Uh, it's always been the case that mortgage debt is the biggest single obligation that Americans have compiled. And that's because houses cost a lot 
uh, and people have to borrow to buy a house, uh, and that debt lives with them for many years, often for 30 years is the term of many mortgages. Um, the second highest consumer debt category has become student loans. That was not true 10 years ago. Uh, at that time, student loans were rising, but credit card debt was bigger, uh, auto loan debt, people borrowing to buy a car was bigger. Uh, and over the years, student loan debt has steadily climbed and it is now the second largest consumer obligation. Uh, and it's outstripped credit card and auto loan debt by a pretty good margin. It's up to about $1.6 trillion as a whole. Uh, why has that happened? Well, it's happened because as you say, the cost of college has gone up and up. It's, con it's constantly more expensive. It is an important good that people are willing to borrow and pay for because it matters so enormously in their lives to have higher education. It affects their earning streams and their job opportunities uh, uh, for the rest of their careers and the rest of their lives. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, we do need to think about what we can do to bring down the cost of college. We think colleges need to be more responsible and think about you know, what kind of obligations they're loading on their students and not simply think that it's just a matter of asking the federal government for more money and more money. Uh, so that's a, that's a good question. It's one that kind of goes beyond my uh, uh, authority here at federal student aid, which is more about financing uh, education, not so much about the decisions colleges make. But we are finding that there are colleges that are challenged in enrollment, and some of it has to do with cost. Uh, and the overall enrollment in college in the last several years uh, is down. Some of that's because of the pandemic. It hasn't felt great to go to school and end up paying for it and having to do it remotely. Uh, but also it has to do with the fact that the job market has been increasingly hot and people can go and get a pretty good paying job without having to go to college. So many of them are making that choice. Uh, but the cost of college is part of this. You're right to ask about it. Uh, and I think that uh, we, we should all be thinking harder about what we can do to try to keep that cost from spiraling upward the way it has done over the last decade. So just quickly, you were the former top regulator at the CFPB. What does two years of not paying on your loans uh, do to a borrower? It just in terms of consumer debt, what kind of new habits does it create? And how unprecedented is this end of the payment pause going to be? Have you done any modeling? I'm very curious from a consumer debt perspective, what's going to happen? So it's, it's always hard to model a new and unprecedented situation because you'd, you'd like to model against uh, data from the past and say that this is like some other period in our history. There is no other period in our history that's like this one. Uh, I, I will say a, a couple of things. One of the things we know is that the uh, payment pause, the, the uh, pause on student loan repayments that's now been in place since March 2020, and by the way, has been implemented and extended by administrations of both parties uh, with bipartisan support and has been extended now a number of times, has made an enormous difference in people's lives. We hear from them. Uh, the fact that they have been able to take a breather on their student loan repayments while they have been coping with the pandemic and in many cases lost jobs or, or declining hours in their job, uh, you know, especially a lot of service employees, uh, has, has made, made a world of difference and helped keep them afloat. 
help them make their mortgage payment so that they weren't ousted from their home, help them make their car payment so they could get to and from work. So that relief has been meaningful. And I think uh, President Biden has been, has been quite, quite uh, thoughtful and considered about extending it now uh, several times as, as there still are challenges people face uh, in the wake of the pandemic and the economic uh, situation. Uh, having said that, there is no question that people have gotten out of practice at repaying their student loans. They haven't had to do it for now 24 months. Uh, they've gotten maybe a little complacent about the fact that they haven't had to repay their student loans. When that changes, when they go back into repayment, there's going to be a big adjustment for people. And we're worried about uh, you know, whether people will, uh, will easily adjust back to paying out money, which no, nobody ever likes to do. Uh, on an obligation that maybe they feel there should have been loan forgiveness or whatever, whatever might be in their minds. Uh, but we will have to uh, work very carefully uh, with our borrowers to make sure that we are communicating well with them. We've been working to do that uh, for months and months now uh, to make sure that if we do find people are falling into delinquency or getting behind on their payments, that we communicate aggressively with them and make them understand uh, you know, what their options are, you know, if they're having trouble financially, uh, we can put them on income-driven repayment plans that can reduce the amount they pay per month. Uh, a lot of people aren't aware of that, uh, but it'll be part of our job to make sure that everybody who can qualify for such a plan gets on one. Uh, but we'll have a lot of work to do around return to repayment. Borrowers themselves will have a lot of work to do, uh, and we'll be working together to try to get that right. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Cadre, on this momentous occasion. I know everyone wants to speak to you. Everyone wants to talk about what's happening with the student loans. I've been inundated with so many questions in my inbox. I can't imagine. It is, it is 40 million Americans and their families. So it's, it's a big universe of people. So yes, a lot of voices. And we try to sift through them and understand what they're telling us and what their needs are and how we can better meet those needs. Thank you so much for joining us. And this has been Yahoo Finance Presents.